All right, troops, strong and conditioned, live and direct from the Chateau de Buppy. And tonight I have the honour of having the godfather of the noble Natty scene. The one and only, the knowledgeable, the man who has done it all, powerlifting, strongman, bodybuilding, the well-versed Faz Lifts. Faz. Great to be back on again, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. I was excited about having you on, Faz. You're, you're, you're always a, a a good man to talk to. So, Faz, the purpose of this podcast is through something that I experienced myself, having spoken to you for the last good few months, and it was a conversation we had regarding my training and where I was heading, because I was in a bit of a I was caught between a rock and a hard place with regards to where I was going. And you obviously passed on some well-appreciated and expert advice. And it was regarding your program, The Wizard, which to me was an absolutely mind-blowing discovery. Now, can you start to tell me the origins of The Wizard? Yeah, of course. Um so, by the way, I remember that conversation on Instagram. Um, it was, um, well, I was very flattered that you came to me for advice, so that was nice. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of got the idea for what you wanted because you were busy, you also like your conditioning, so you needed something which was going to suit that. And yeah, I felt that the wizard was, was the best thing for it. But yeah, just to give you guys a bit of a background of how it came about, firstly, the wizard is a full body routine. It's a full body bodybuilding specific routine, which is what makes it different from a lot of the more, I guess, powerlifting orientated routines out there or, or so like strong lifts and stuff like that. Um, I know some people might take offense at that, but you know, they were using the power lifts um, to build a physique, whereas the wizard is essentially a pure bodybuilding program. So uh, I'll talk you through like the origins. So back in the day, <laughs> take you on a little history tour. Um, I lived I lived out in South Korea for about a year. I taught out there back when I was like a lot younger, 24, 25. And then I traveled around Asia for about six months afterwards around um, uh, Japan, South Korea, and uh, parts of China. So I came back after about 18 months and promptly went back to my powerlifting routine, obviously, as you would, like any young YOLO would. Um, and during the time before I left, I was doing singles on the deadlift so um as any headstrong young man would do i went back to the gym started doing singles on the deadlift promptly tore my hamstring massive grade three tear um right away down the middle pretty nasty um and uh powerlifting was basically done for me like up until that point i had known nothing but powerlifting so was right from the beginning um i competed in my very first year i competed after nine months of lifting and um I was just obsessed with powerlifting for like six years. And so powerlifting was then done. Devastating news. The doctor said, look, you know, you're looking to be walking, like don't be powerlifting again. So very difficult. You know what it's like when you're young, um, young, it's, you're quite, I was quite headstrong and I took it very badly. So, you know, I wasn't very uh, pleasant to be around <laughs> at that point. Uh, Cause you know, my, my desire, my whole purpose for lifting, it was, was gone. My whole, I guess my whole persona essentially. Cause at that time, Everybody knew me as Faz the Powerlifter, which is kind of different now. But uh, that was my whole identity. And so I needed something else. Now, for the period of that year, I proceeded to re-injure the hamstring a few times because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and then I finally got to talking with uh, Casey Butt. Now, for those of you who are up on your uh, bodybuilding law, you'll know Casey Butt was one of the guys who really pushed the, um, the whole, I guess, natural potential calculation type of thing he did he did a bunch of he, he created a calculator which was based off some studies which were done on i guess natural potential um so you know using his best judgment he created this model and um, the model was created um from the basis of natural bodybuilders back in the 40s and 50s um based on this study and a bunch of other things as well um some of the more modern statistics but in any case that's, I guess we can discuss that at a later stage. There were some holes in the research which um, which are acknowledged in the modern day. But anyway, getting back to the story. So Casey, um, he talked me through how to do bodybuilding for hypertrophy because 
back in the 40s and 50s, full body routines were essentially the way forward. And for those of you who are up with your history in powerlifting and Olympic lifting, you'll know that Bill Starr was also using full body routines very heavily during that period of time for his Olympic weightlifting team and also for bodybuilding. So back then, there was a very popular theme of full body routines for not only strength, but also for muscle growth. Um, and everybody was well, it was very popular. Now, the muscle growth routines were very different from the powerlifting routines and the Olympic lifting routines. They were very nuanced and there was a lot of distinction. I think there was more distinction back then than actually there is now because the majority of full body routines now are more powerlifting oriented. And I think people, I think full body routines for hypertrophy is a lost art. So I think one of the reasons why my wizard routine is so popular is because well, I think the routine is, and the information in there is quite unique. I've not seen anyone really push it in such detail um, beyond Casey. And Casey's been out of the scene for well over, uh, well over 15 years at this point. So Casey talked me through and he gave me the beginnings of what to do. And that's really how it came about. And for those years, 2007 to 2011, I worked on the system, I expanded the system, um, and I got better, I got bigger. And finally, during, doing that type of training, the bodybuilding type of training, I actually healed my hamstring as well to the point where I was able to get back into powerlifting and yeah. re-injure re it again. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very, very unfortunate. So uh, how did the wizard look when you initially created it? So the initial guidelines that Casey um, gave me were to have... See, see Casey's guidelines to me were... were far less expanded than what I've done with the wizard in terms of what I experienced over the course of the first four years. So for those of you who've read the wizard, it was essentially stage one, which is three days a week of training, um, trying to cover the majority of areas and differentiating the heavy day, the light day and the medium day by exercise selection, mostly, and repetition range. So just to give the viewers an example so they can kind of visualize what I'm talking about, if we take the, um, the chest part of the workout of each day, Monday, heavy day, may well be bench presses for sets of five, five to six, nice and heavy with plenty of rest. We're using an exercise like the bench press, which is a big heavy compound, which is gonna place a lot of tension on the target muscles. Now, if we jump to say Friday, the medium day, the Friday medium day was in slightly higher rep ranges in much more what we would class these days as traditional bodybuilding rep ranges, sort of that eight to 12 range. And the light day, and also on that day, the, the exercises you were supposed to use were not supposed to be the super heavy exercises like the bench press. Perhaps you would use a slightly lighter alternative like a dumbbell bench or a machine press, something which can target the pecs with a little bit more bias and not be super heavy like Monday. So the idea is to train the muscle the second time during the week, but not to repeat this similar type of stress. Differentiate it via the exercise, differentiate it also by the rep range. Now, the light day was thrown in the middle. Now, the light day served two purposes. One, it was completely different work from both the other days. It was light, it was a day where you would emphasize the pump, squeezing, stretching, um, and the work would be either more therapeutic, but also more like a finisher, but done on its own day. And you might, you guys might think that's a little bit strange. So for example, it might be a cable crossover for sets of 15. You guys might think that's a bit strange, but essentially what that allowed you to do, and this was in, this is what Casey told me, what that allowed you to do was to approach each day with a different mindset. So yeah. for those of you who follow bodybuilding routines, like very typical bro splits, you'll know that generally you start with a heavy lift and as you trail through the workout, you start working lighter, more for pump, more for feel. Now, in this method, where you have a heavy day, a light day, and a medium day, you go into the gym with that mindset. So in a heavy day, you are going to war. The idea is you go in, you smash the workout for an hour, hour and a half, and then hopefully you could just get back, rest, relax, reload. And it's a very different mentality from the light day, which is when you're going in, you're trying to pump, stretch, squeeze and really connect with the muscle and it's much more of a therapeutic day than a heavy day so each day has a different mentality yeah. as well as different rep schemes and rest periods and stuff like that 
Yeah. The the one thing that strikes me having uh, did the wizard is that when you speak about the light day light day being therapeutic, I actually found the light day to be just as demanding as yeah. the heavy day itself. So how is that the case? How is it actually a light day when it's probably just as demanding as the heavy day in some respects due to the higher rep ranges? So that's a good question because it, it lets me talk about why the routine is set up in a heavy, light and medium day. Why is there such separation? So the light day is, you're right, it is supposed to be just as intensive as the heavy day and the medium day. Therapeutic because it's a lighter load and it acts as more like recovery work for the connective yeah. tissues and the joints. And this is why I believe this system is better than other ways that I've seen full body routines been put out in the in in the ether. Um, so not not to sort of dog on these guys, but um, Jeff Nippard and I think Eric Helms released a full body routine where essentially there was heavy work every single day. And by the way, love those two guys; they're great. But uh, so no disrespect. But what they did was they released a heavy a full body routine where there was heavy work every single day. So Monday might be a squat. I can't remember off the top of my head, but the very typical routine is Monday squat. Wednesday deadlift and say Friday is maybe like a leg press. Now, the issue with that is every single day, your lower back and your hips are getting loading heavy. So there never there is never a recovery period. So that's the net effect is that could actually be worse for your recovery than something like an upper lower because yeah. you are training the same musculature heavy multiple times a week. That is what I fundamentally disagree with and why I think this system is better because the light day is therapeutic in the sense that muscularly you're going just as hard, but there are vastly different stresses on the body than another heavy day. Yeah. So a squat followed by a deadlift, it's a lot on the joints. And a, a squat followed by, for example, a leg extension, some leg curls, that's a lot easier to handle, particularly if it's in the higher up ranges, which typically promote lo lots of good blood flow and actually tend to be quite, have quite a healing effect on the joints. And that's why it's better. People very often think about the light, think about the heavy day as being too much. This is a complaint that I've received, you know, and the, the heavy day is too much, but that's just the effort within one session. Yeah. What is actually too much is repeatedly loading the same structures with heavy weight multiple times a week. That is what's actually going to stall your progress. I mean, if you do a heavy day, sure, it's a lot of work, but you'll get over it. It's one session. And then, yeah. you know, you get the light day, you can relax, and Friday you go again. But the problem with the alternate way of doing things, and I've seen lots of people talk about this, is you're going to have multiple bouts of heavy loading multiple days per week. That is permissible if you are still relatively novice. But when you yeah. are lifting some kind of decent weight, it will, that is going to be vastly more harmful, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually found that the heavy day was the easiest. And I don't mean that in terms of effort. I mean that in terms of execution, because I think the heavy day was a lot more focused the reps were lower so you could get through the session in a shorter duration of time whereas the lighter days took that little bit longer mm. so I, I think I, I think it's a mindset thing with regards to heavy days and like you've already mentioned you have to go into these days with a certain mindset yeah however the mindset i approached like the wizard with was more a time efficiency mindset because my time in the gym is very limited like I've got to go to work so I can't spend hours in the gym whereas someone who's going into a heavy day knows right, I need to get through these heavier weights I'm going to have to take longer rest periods and that was an interesting thing that you included in the program and it's a bit of a hot topic yeah, it is. <laughs> rest periods yeah yeah so yeah. why is that such an integral part of the program yeah i mean firstly i just want to handle the sort of controversy because people really <laughs> get uh, up in arms about the rest periods it's probably the biggest pushback i've had to the routine is people will consistently comment and say look i agree with faz but he's off on the rest periods now i think it's because at the moment we have this 
uh, people, as much as they don't like to admit it, people are very influenced by research and the current scientific literature. Even the guys who like confess that they hate the science and you know all that kind of stuff. And there, everyone is in, in our industry in our community is very influenced by science. And at the moment, the scientific stance is that we should take more rest generally. So everybody follows that. But the thing is, that doesn't represent the majority of historical data, anecdotal data that we have on bodybuilding. And that is people very much varied rest periods. That was a natural thing to do. For the heavy work, you naturally take longer. For the light work, to get the right effect, you pump it and you reduce the rest periods and you get the stimulus by condensing your work. That is something which hasn't yet been studied, conducive, well, somewhat has been studied, but I guess the conclusion has been so far, don't do that, stick to higher rest periods. So at the moment, the majority of the community looks down upon shorter rest periods. And even those who confess to not being influenced by the research have gotten their opinion from this. Uh, and that I think is where we're lacking at the moment because it doesn't represent the history of bodybuilding. Yeah. It strikes yeah. me as too much of an optimal approach where you, th you have to rest a certain amount of minutes. And if you do not rest those amount of minutes, ah. then it's null and yeah. void. And I'm, I'm always thinking payoff. Like what is the, the, the net effect of I the rest period going to yeah. be? Are you going to accumulate an extra gram of muscle if you wait an extra 30 seconds? And I also think that rest periods are dictated ultimately by your level of conditioning, which to me seems, a full body training program seems conducive to increasing conditioning because you're exercising the full body. It's Absolutely. a focused session. And <laughs> done over a period of time, that is going to rise, which means that you can tolerate the rest periods. Yeah, exactly. No, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. I think to be able to get through a full body routine, you have to restrict rest periods to make it work. So I think, I think that's one of the reasons why I made a specific point to restrict rest periods, because I think one of the major issues with a lot of people who don't gain very well one of the issues, not not like a major issue, but certainly one of the issues is they lack conditioning. I think a lot of people, they don't have a great deal of time for training. So they train maybe three days a week, full body. But unlike yourself, they don't do a lot of conditioning. They're not in very good shape. I think a lot of guys are just essentially just very deconditioned, very lazy. So if you're sat around for the majority of the day, let's say you have a, an office job, you're not very used to physical exercise or physical activity. And when it comes to the gym, all you ever want to do is heavy work. Well, naturally, you're going to want to rest four to five minutes between sets. And naturally, that's going to decrease the amount of work you can do. So naturally, you're going to feel like a routine like this is, quote unquote, too much, because your current level of conditioning isn't able to take advantage of proper bodybuilding, which is fine because everyone starts somewhere. But I think what people have to remember is, you're not going to build a good physique if your conditioning is shockingly bad. Like it doesn't happen. So it's part, most people don't really talk about work capacity and its role in building muscle. Most really good bodybuilders will train the majority of the population under the table just through sheer repeated bouts of effort over and over and over again. And if you train in with any advanced bodybuilder, you'll see the same. They will just be like engines. They can go and go and go. They might not be able to do many burpees, but when it comes to lifting weight, they can just go and go and go. And work capacity is 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 one of those things which isn't really talked about very much because everybody wants to lift heavy like we're men we're masculine what feels better than getting in the gym and outlifting the next guy like very little so everyone focuses on that focuses on you gotta lift heavier you gotta get your progressive overload you gotta get your plus ones all that kind of stuff and they don't put into it's not as glamorous to talk about other things like, okay, maybe you need to do increase your work capacity. Maybe you need to spend this time doing suboptimal training and reducing your rest periods because you have the work capacity of a slug. And, and yeah, people don't like yeah. to hear that. Yeah. People really don't like to hear that. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's almost hand in hand with trying to focus people on diet, but it's not as bad. People understand the importance of diet a bit more. But when it comes to the more... Um, the more boring factors of bodybuilding, like work capacity, 
the majority of people don't want to hear it and they don't see the value. So a lot of those will rebel massively against even having one day during the week where they're reducing rest periods. And it's a mistake because you're not going to build a good physique if your work capacity is crap. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the beautiful thing about the wizard is that it has an inbuilt conditioning component which is built through the rest periods. However, with the, the, the current scientific approach, putting too much emphasis on the fact that you have to adhere to a certain recovery period, then people are going to be repelled in some respects because they are not going to achieve the outcome they desire which is purely muscle growth yep. when they need to look at the bigger picture and yep. they need to look at being able to create the environment for muscle growth by increasing work capacity and by increasing the ability to recover because that is ultimately what a defined rest period is going to promote is the ability to recover to go again i mean you may not hit your rep targets yeah. in the first couple of weeks but you will get there eventually yeah but yeah. i don't think that really ties in with this instant gratification era yeah everybody wants to lift heavy yeah lift yeah. heavy throw some more weight on the bar form goes to crap but who cares it's just it gets away from the essence of what bodybuilding is and i think i think also there's like a mismatch of expectations i think people think they're going to develop a really good physique by training three days three times a week and not doing much else like not doing any conditioning at all not watching their diet not focusing on their sleep and rest recovery and the, the argument is always oh, i don't have time for that it's like that's fine but then if you have expectations to have a good physique it may be worth your while to just balance what you do so spend some time maybe less time in the gym maybe more time in the kitchen prepping food reality is most people have a decent amount of time they just just like to put it into other areas but yeah anyway going back to your point i think yeah it's it's a missing factor for sure the goal the goal with the wizard routine really is to actually train more days so where where the way i've expanded the system is in sort of like parts two and three in the book which is to to get more days and maybe not even more days but more work in the gym because ultimately more volume on a routine like this will drive more gains and so right from the beginning i want people to get used to restricting rest periods to at least a reasonable amount, nothing excessive, so that ultimately, long-term, we can perhaps add in some more volume, some more useful volume, which can drive more growth. Um, yeah. You know, it's not an unlimited ceiling, but certainly a little bit more than we were doing before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, these are the variables that you can always play about with. And that that's one thing that, that stands out to me about The Wizard, is that it's also a flexible program yeah. where you don't have defined exercises you, you you promote variety you you try and guide the, the participant in the direction of thinking for themselves and when you created the the wizard that was quite a novel approach because programs were set in stone mm-hmm. round about that era it was like do this do that exercise yeah. there was no room for variety it was you just had to do what was written on the paper how did you come about creating that process was it through your own like busy life traveling and uh, your profession not having a lot of time to 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 train in the gym was that something that inspired you to create a more flexible approach to full body training yeah it definitely was but i think the main driver was the fact that i i had power lifted and i had the injury and so i wasn't suited to a lot of exercises which were going well i wasn't suited anymore to what was would have been predominantly a powerlifting approach you know so if you look at the um the full body routines of back then they were all the five by five routines it was always sort of strong lifts ripetoes five by five which all hinged on the squat bench and deadlift now and that, if you match that with um, strength targets, you know, getting three-plate bench, four-plate squat, five-plate deadlift, to be acceptable to be a man, it creates a very, um, I guess it creates a very uh, singular and unyielding set of targets for people. Because if you're not very suited to the squat and the goal, the goal has to be four plates aside, that's going to be tough, you know? So the reason... That what drove my exercise selection choice was, well, my, my hamstring injury. So I had to change things around. I was no longer able to fully deadlift for a long time. Um, I was also at the time quite interested in the Olympic lifts, and that was kind of out as well. So it became a case of trying to find exercises which fit my body, which at the time 
you know, my leg wasn't doing so well. And so that then expanded off into other exercises and actually seeing the benefit of having such a wide, varied amount of exercises. Because um, in the early days, I was training full body maybe four or five days a week and using two or so exercises per body part per session. So we had up to eight to 10 different exercises per week, you know, for the same body part. So there was a huge degree of variety and just seeing how much volume I could tolerate and how much growth I could get from such a wide degree of volume, wide degree of exercises, sorry, without getting any pain. It was fantastic. I thought, wow, this is absolutely magic. I do a heavy day. I feel battered. I do a light day. It helps my recovery. Then I do a medium day and I use some machines and it feels strong. I feel fantastic. Just you seeing the magic of bodybuilding variety was superb because you don't have to restrict yourself to the squat bench and deadlift, which is what the majority of programs were doing back then. Yeah. Or maybe some slight variations like the close grip bench press. I was like, no, no, screw it. We're going to use a cable crossover as part of the routine. And it's legit. We are going to use a hammer strength chest press and it's legit. And so it, uh, it allowed people to see that you don't have to restrict yourself to the barbell lifts because I, I don't think that's a great idea from a hypertrophy point of view. Like I've done it yeah. for powerlifting and it's hard on the body. So why do that if you don't have competitive aspirations? One of, one of the things that also immediately popped out to me about the wizard was it had that classic three set structure, hmm. which doesn't seem to be a thing anymore. I mean, like obviously because we are older heads, in this fitness game, like we built our base on the three set structure, and it was enlightening to go back to that. Having yeah. like, I mean, is that something that you was? Why did you create that three set structure and stick to it rigidly in an environment where it's not really in vogue anymore? Yeah, that was something that I did. Casey was a bit more loose with the recommendations. Um, I like the three set. Uh, simply because over time, I just found it to be perfect. Because if you, if you think about it, with the rest periods being restricted, um, it's less about each individual set. It's more about the block of work that you do. So yeah. as an example, let's say you and I were bench pressing together and we had unlimited rest periods. You know, Each set would be very much an event in and of itself. And we would, we would um, count progress based on that set, the one singular set that we're doing and then each set as we go along. When it comes to the wizard routine, you have three sets which are joined together, glued together with a tight rest period, let's say three minutes or two and a half yeah. minutes. What you're looking is at, you're looking at the totality of those three sets. So for that, progression is seen over the course of three sets, not just of each individual set. And that's why the three set works so well because two sets doesn't feel like you've done enough four yeah. or five sets bordering on a bit too much but three sets is a nice group of sets where you can cluster progression and you can that that was really it sort of connected with the rest periods and it just felt right so i stuck yeah, with it yeah yeah and, and just, just one note on that like with regards to the wizard some of the choices in that um there are things which just feel right and so i did the routine for four years and over the so the routine is not the, the system is not something i just you know, pulled out my bum, like, yeah, it's which it's, I, I want people to know that because it's something which was done via experience and over multiple years with myself, with my brother, with some of my friends. And so by the end of it, what you guys are seeing is, is a well-tested routine, which I think is why it's so popular because it seems to fit. Yeah. Yeah. So are we at the final phase of the wizard or is it constantly evolving? I think it's constantly evolving just as I am. Um, I think you have to as a coach. Um, so as many people as I've trained now and I've coached for 10 years, I think you have to stay evolving. I released a video recently, actually, just talking about something I've changed my mind on. And it was, it was strength standards. Yeah. And I, I think you have to, because I, I strongly believe that if, and there are coaches out there like this, I think coaches out there who will try to um, make out that they know everything, you know? And if there's conversations in the comments, they won't engage. They'll just like, nope. You're wrong. I know better. And they'll never admit to um, changing their mind. They'll just kind of try to glance over it and say, yeah, you know, I believe that all along. And I think that's quite dangerous because if you, if you take that mentality as a coach, what you're effectively saying is you think you're putting yourself in a position of power. But what you're actually doing is you're putting yourself in a position of weakness because you're saying, I've tapped out. Like, yeah. I'm done. 
I can progress no further. I know everything. Well, I know everything. I know what I know and I can't get any further. But the other consequence is if you're a viewer uh, of a coach who's like that, what you, they've done to you is they've effectively stopped your development as well because you can learn no more either because they will learn no more. So you have to always adapt because if not, you let yourself down and you let your audience down. So yeah. I'm a big believer that you always have to keep adapting. You always have to keep evolving. You have to, and the more people I train, the more information I get. So I don't think the wizard, I mean, with, with the version three, there's definitely going to be more stuff added to that. I've already got a list, um, but potentially we could see updates for the coming few years. Uh, at the moment, I think I still want to continue testing. At the moment is probably more like additions rather than replacements because yeah, the system works. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. certainly will be more. Yeah, it wouldn't make sense to make an overhaul because I think the best programs are constantly evolving. There's slight mm. tweaks being made to the programs. Yeah. Because I'm, as I get older, I'm starting to move away from the concept of a program, so to speak, because I feel that programs are rigid and they, they probably cater more for a demographic. So in some respects, when I was in my 20s, I would have did a programme. However, as I am now in my 40s, the ability to perform any programme becomes more and more limited as my time becomes more consumed by extracurricular activities. But ultimately, it's the ingredients of the programme which you need to apply to your training as opposed to the, the, the actual set format. So... You, you said something interesting there about strength standards and your yeah. change of opinion. Or yeah. How yes, was that I, I, so I made this video um, the other day and it was released on YouTube, I think, yesterday. Um, but it's it's not, it, it was never a sort of big epiphany. It was just really the way that my coaching had been going. I, I hardly ever rely on the squat-based deadlift as the main marks of progression for my clients anymore because I just don't see the point, you know, like, so I've been doing this differently for years. I've only just recently sort of put it out there and say, Hey, I've changed my mind. So practically speaking, if you are coaching people for, you know, muscle growth, it just becomes very redundant to try and force them into being able to squat, bench and deadlift. And, and that was the main reason. You know, the majority of the time, it's really only the guys who've got home gyms who will be doing variations because, They've got home gyms, less, they have less variety available. For, for the majority of my clients, I mean, it would be a ridiculous thing to say, okay, you're going to squat. And they say, well, I don't like to squat. I don't squat very well. Whenever I squat, I hurt my knees. And if I'm there saying, well, no, you've got to squat. So it's just been a very, very natural, normal evolution because I always have my ears open listening to my clients. Um, and I think that's important. So I don't think as a coach, you can be um unyielding in your yeah. discussions with your clients and what works for them so just as a natural extension over time i've just moved away from them um, yeah. i don't think i i mean in the early days when i first started coaching i was coaching a lot of powerlifters because i'd come fresh off my powerlifting but over time i probably have about five powerlifts on the book now but that's about it so yeah, yeah i'm just less and less interested in restricting my clients to lifts which they may not be suited to and as i say that's something I, that's an attitude I've had for multiple years now, but it's yeah. just not something I formally put out. And I thought it would be nice for people to see a coach changing his mind, you know, on something and publicly say, Hey, you know what, I've evolved. I think it's I think that puts me in a position of power. I don't think yeah. it's a weak, weak stance at all. Yeah. Do you think that's like a maturity thing, Faz? I mean, what was what was young Faz like in terms of mindset? I, I I've got an I a feeling I may be wrong that you would have probably been a bit more dogmatic in your approach? I think um, it's a good thing I got into coaching a lot later in life. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's it. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. When I was, because you got to remember, like, I loved strength. Like, that was all I was interested in. I didn't care a damn about physique or looks at all. Um, so I was only ever interested in squat, bench, and deadlift. So, yeah. for the, and I, And I also had the thought that if you couldn't squat very well, well, you could learn because <laughs> I learned and I wasn't a very good squatter when I started but I learned you know and I got better and actually it did improve the size of my legs when I got better at squatting but that's not the point the point is it took me six to nine months of relearning the squat to actually get good at it and a lot of people don't really have that time because when they hire you 
you really want to get a result from within the first, you know, 12 weeks, six, uh, six weeks. So you can't really have the time to rejig their squat form because they're like, look, Faz, I'm going away on holiday to Ibiza in 12 weeks. Get me in shape. Like, <laughs> and you're like, hold on a second. Let me just teach you how to squat first. Like, it doesn't happen. Um, so, yeah, um, I think I think young me was definitely a lot more interested in the squat bench and deadlift. I'm, I mean, be, even being honest, I'm glad I, I'm glad I started coaching later. But even in the early stages of coaching, I made a lot of mistakes. And I, I specifically remember, and I'm happy to share this because I look back on it as as a bit of a, oh God, Faz, what are you doing? But one of my first clients, great guy, pushed him really, really hard, and um, we built a lot of muscle, so there was no doubt about the actual results. But I think I pushed him way too hard and he would say to me look faz i feel like i'm overtraining and my reply would be well your poundages are going up therefore you must not be overtraining you know from a very sort of scientific clinical setting um yeah. and you can't argue with that you know so he was like yeah i guess you're right but he wasn't feeling great he was feeling tired if he run down yeah. yeah he was making progress so he wasn't technically overtrained but maybe he was slightly overreached maybe he just needed a break but me being me 10 years ago like hyper competitive, you know, coming off my competition yeah. days. Um, I was like, well, no, like obviously you're not overtraining because you're gaining muscle and strength at a, at a great rate. Just get it done. And he did, and he gained lots of muscle, but I think it was potentially maybe more stressful than it needed to be for him. Uh, and we could have made gains a bit slower, but perhaps more comfortably. So that is a, a time where I look back and go, oh, Faz, what were you doing? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I was hyper competitive. Um, as, as you know, as a young and and also in my first sort of year or so of training, I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember there was this one guy I was coaching for. This is just a funny story, which um, might give you a bit of perspective. There was one guy I was coaching. He was, um, I was there at his powerlifting meet where he was trying to qualify for the nationals, which were going to be held in another country. And if he did qualify against this other guy, he would have been given a free trip to a different country, all expenses paid. So there was a lot riding on it. And you know, there's not a lot, there's not a lot of money in powerlifting. So it was kind of cool. So it was him versus this other guy, head to head, final deadlift, right? Winner takes everything. And just before he went on, can, can I swear on this, by the way? Yeah, of course you can. Okay. When, just before he went on, <laughs> it's gonna seem fucking terrible. Um, <laughs> I, shot, I, grab, I grabbed him by the ears, right? <laughs> the ears. By the ears. <laughs> and I shouted at him, I says, get this lift i don't train pussies <laughs> <That was it. laughs> then, which is i look back at an hour ago that was just like what were you doing but it's kind of like my i was just i was just hyper competitive back when in my competitive days and early in my coaching days so that's why i say i i'm glad i started coaching a lot later in life because um i'm a lot more sort of um understanding about yeah. different personalities, different goals as well. Not, not everyone wants to do that. Not everyone wants to be like top of the world when it comes to powerlifting yeah. or bodybuilding. So I nowadays, what I try and do is in my consultation process, I discuss the client's goals, but also their personalities. So I kind of want to know what I can do with them. Like, can I push them? Can I not? Are they going to be sensitive to what I'm saying? And, you know, in not so many words, we have the conversation about what kind of personality do you have? How how do you best respond to things? Do you respond to more of a gentle approach, or do you yeah. respond to you know a bit more of a of a strong sort of yeah disciplinarian approach? Yeah, yeah. That that reminds me of I remember when uh, is it Christian Thibodeau? Yeah, he created a system of neurotyping people. Okay, uh, and figuring out their personality types if they were uh, a type one A and type one B, and like I see yeah. a program accordingly. And this was probably about six or seven years ago. And mm. when I initially like heard about this, I thought it was just some woo woo shit. Mm. I thought it was like someone just trying to make something out of nothing. But as I have got older and more aware of my own desires and how i react to certain programs it's it started to make sense to me to have an actual grasp on someone's personality type oh, in order to dictate the flow of coaching mm. in some respects yeah it's a big deal i mean i mean i very quickly realized with you like talking to you like that was your perspective was that you, this was an addition to other things and it wasn't the main thing and i tried to keep things as simple as possible so i, I directed you towards 
only phase one, not anything else. I specifically warned you against going to phase two and phase three. But in contrast, there are people who I coach and have coached in the past who actually respond better to more details. They respond better to more hoops to jump through. So yeah. those are the kind of guys where you might want to give them an intra workout or peri workout routine. You may want to give them specifics because they enjoy that. They like they like the feeling of whatever it is, whether it's control or whether they feel like they're ticking off all the boxes. And so some people actually respond. You can you can you can inject a bit of voodoo into a routine, and people yeah. respond better as long as they have that personality type. So what I mean by voodoo is things which which they can do, which may not necessarily make a difference, but they yeah. can do it. And some people are more motivated by that. So you have to understand the different personalities. For other people, it would turn them right off. Like, I don't want to do that. Let me eat what I'm going to eat and let me figure it around my schedule. But some guys, they do really, really like the rigidity of a routine. So you just have to yeah. know who you're working with. So so how do you determine this? How do you determine this personality type? Did you create a like a, a questionnaire or... A, I mean, because that seems quite a deep subject to me. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, you, I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't get through it in the first instance. You know, I do have to, I do have to do consultations with people before I hire them. Firstly, to make sure we're a good fit. Like, I, I won't yeah. take anyone on if they're if I don't think I can actually help them. Yeah. But yeah, I do need to talk with them for a while and get to grips with their personality. And over time, you get more of that, so you can add things in. And yeah, I mean, with when it comes to my coaching. Um, I don't know if this model is is similar to how a lot of coaches do it, but from what I've heard, um, a lot, yeah, from what I've heard, some coaches don't do the coaching like I do it. So I have, for my one-to-one -one clients, I have very in-depth discussions with them during the course of the week. So there are videos that I send, you know, videos are sent back, and it's perhaps ten to fifteen minutes of me, you know, talking, and through that, you do get an idea of their personality. So when I work with people on a one-to-one -one basis. I do work with them very closely and it's it's a lot more detail than just like a message or an email it's it's actual videos and stuff so it's a lot more detail so you do get to know somebody and i would say most of the people i've coached you know you end up being friends you keep in yeah. touch and stuff because you do develop a relationship so as part of that you learn about them they learn about you that helps to solidify that relationship and it improves the coaching but yeah it's um it's a lot of work involved you know getting to know yeah. people it's the same yeah. as teaching to be honest the teaching is the same yeah. when i was a school teacher you have to get to know the personalities of the classes you're working with yeah. so do you think your teaching background gives you an advantage in that oh, department yeah. huge i think i think i bring a fairly unique skill set to um youtube fitness and coaching in general because i'm an ex-school teacher i know how to communicate ideas i also know how to work with individuals but also i have my experience of being a powerlifter strongman and a bodybuilder in a competitive sense not many yeah. people can boast a resume like that so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, i think yeah. it gives me a big advantage i think i think there are people who are really good at their sport like bodybuilding strongman whatever but being able to communicate that is supremely difficult and um one of the things you know as a te as a teacher and one of the things i kind of see as a coach is you almost have to predict ways in which people are going to um deviate and mistake your advice or your teaching. So like in the, in the, when I was in the classroom, when I was putting together my lesson plan, I might have a lesson comprised of X, Y, and Z. I have to almost predict where my students are going to go wrong and then add that to the notes and add that to the explanation. And I try to do that in my videos too on YouTube and also in my videos to my one-to-one -one clients. I will try and predict where misunderstandings will come up and in doing so, I add that to the explanation so that when their mind is following what I'm saying and it starts to go off in the other direction into a wrong place, I'm already predicted that and I'm hurdling, I'm sort of herding them back to what I'm trying to say. Because really, we live in a very strange world where if you think about it, like I don't know what's going on in your head right now. You have no idea what's going on in my head right now. <laughs> Our only form of information exchange is verbal, physical, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. It's strange, isn't it? I mean, if we were telepathic, it'd be a completely different story, but we're not. So <laughs> therefore, we have to place a great deal of importance on communication. Yeah. You know, that's true in coaching as, as well as it is for relationships as well, because you never really know what the other person thinks. But the goal is to ensure the other person knows what you think. The problem we have as human beings is because voice language is 
is the barrier between what I know versus what you know. Yeah. I have to make sure that I'm directing your learning in the correct way. And I think even just acknowledging that's an issue as a coach will put you one step ahead because a lot of people don't. A lot of coaches yeah. will just say, work harder, rah, you know, and that doesn't help anyone. You know, like yeah. we all know we need to work harder, but break it down. What does that mean? Yeah. What does working harder look like? Is it this? No, it's not. So yeah. yeah, communication and your ability to express your ideas is absolutely crucial as a coach. Yeah. So when you grabbed that guy by the ears and called him a pussy, <laughs> did, that, did that approach work, Faz? It did, actually. To be fair, to, he, he got the deadlift and he got the trip to um, to wherever he was going. So it did work. But I would never do that again. That was absolutely... I mean, it was kind of funny, half funny, but also mostly embarrassing. So, yeah. <laughs> so, embarrassing so, to look at now. <laughs> we've all been there mate we've all been there yeah. so what are red flags that you see in prospective clients in clients so yeah here's the thing i think in my experience with um, over like 10 years pretty much every single client who's come to me bitching about another coach has been a nightmare <laughs> just say that straight up um and i i <laughs> i mean <sighs> Yeah, it's just honestly, I can't even say there's an exception. Pretty much every client who's come to me going, Oh, yeah, I was with X, Y, and Z coach. It was a terrible experience. And I listened to them and go, oh, Okay, fair enough. I've learned now not to judge the other coach too harshly. I think, yeah. I think younger coaches might do that. And certainly when I was a younger coach, I did that as well. I had people come to me for other coaches. And, um, and I, I, in the back of my mind, I was like, Oh, God, that's a bit yikes. But every single time, it was if a client comes to you, very, very verbally expressing their discontent, odds are they're going to be a nightmare. So that is probably yeah, my one of yeah. my biggest flags. Uh, but that's yeah. like a personality trait. There's, there's nothing else. There's nothing like in terms of their routine, you know. I think as long as they're willing to have a conversation, then ultimately you're just trying to figure out what is, what is in their ability to do within their schedule. Like with you, for example, you know, I realized you were very busy. Very quickly, I realized you, one, you were very busy. I also realized that you didn't want things to be massively complicated because you liked the uh, old school type of simplicity. So I yeah. figured I needed to have something which was going to be, was was not going to take up too mental much mental bandwidth because you've got your job, yeah. you've got your kids, you've got things going on, you've got your channel, you've got a bunch of things going on. You just want something out the box which is going to work. Yeah. So immediately, you might not have realized it, but in that conversation, immediately my gears were turning and go, okay, this is... <laughs> his personality profile, this is what he needs. And that's, I think, why it works so well for you. Because yeah, you, you, you have to be on, this is what I was saying, if, if, at least, if you at least acknowledge these things exist, you'll have a better chance with your clients. But it's the guy who's unaware and is just oblivious to everything and carries on the way he is. You have to be somewhat of a chameleon, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you like pick up on any common traits amongst like certain age groups that come to you? Like do younger guys respond more to the hyper detailed approach, whereas guys in my age range look for that more minimalistic, uh, less cluttered approach in some respects? I'd say on average you're right. Yeah, definitely. Um I will say though, some of the, the best clients are not the young guys. The best, you, you wouldn't think it, but you know the young guys who are like early 20s, maybe just got college or university to do, or like a job with very little responsibilities, almost almost always, not no, uh, the majority of the time, or more, more than the other guys, they tend to be a problem because a lot of times they just don't have their routine set right, so they're not very efficient with their work. Like, I mean, you've described your, your day to me. You're a very busy guy. You have a lot of things to do. We have like a deadline for when to do the, you know, the, um, the podcast and everything. A lot of young guys, they spend a lot of time, I don't know what they're doing. They're just like dusting around, you know? So the problem is if you have a lot of free time, this is what I've, I've seen. If you have a lot of free time, you end up getting very little done. As yeah. counterintuitive as that might sound, but it's the guys with, with less to do who tend to be worse at getting stuff done. I, it, Call me crazy, but it's just a common common personality trait. The busiest guys, they tend to be the best clients. Like if you and I were to work together, I guarantee, like if I told you to do this and it was within your within your ability to do it, you would get it done. No yeah, holds barred, yeah, tick yeah. it off. As long as we'd agreed, like this is what we're going to do, fine. I could rely on you every week to get things done. Yeah. It's so the the old the guys who are in their say thirties and forties, fifties, sixties. Um, are prof have professional jobs, have got a lot of responsibilities, families, job, all that kind of stuff, work life and everything. Those are the guys typically who do the best 
because they get the job done because they know how to manage their time. It is yeah. not what you'd think at all. It is not the young guys with plenty of free time who you'd think they've got loads of time to prep their food, loads of time to go to the gym, do the cardio. No, never those guys because some reason their their time just gets evaporated into this black hole and you're like what what are you doing probably just on the phone all the time so it's always the older guys who've got the schedule sorted out they tend to be very good at time management some of my best clients they're up five six in the morning they go to the gym before they go to work and before the kids are even awake they come back they have their breakfast they go to work and they get it all done those are the guys because when you say to them slot it in your routine they do it like i've got some guys who are in engineering, in uh, in IT. I've got one guy who's like a CEO of some large medical company in America, and he never misses his sessions. He gets them in. And it's not because he has lots of free time. He is insanely busy. Yeah. I mean, I, I coached a guy once who was, um, every two weeks out of every month, he was abroad because he worked for Nescafe. And he was always like around different countries. Never missed a workout. And this guy, yeah. just spent, he spends half his life literally in another country and random yeah. other countries. yeah. Yep. I, I think as an older guy, the, the thing that always fills my head is that there is less time to make gains. Yeah. So yeah. you need to be extremely time efficient. Whereas if I was in my 20s, I've got the whole world in front of me. So I do have time to doom scroll. I do have time to just relax and think, wait, there's always tomorrow. But I also get that idea that there's a bit of a more of a hand holding process involved. Whereas the older ones are probably would be more assertive and focused because they know that time is limited. Yeah, I think with the, I think with the older guys, they're a lot more um, conservative with their time. So if I say, "Look, can you do this?" and they say no, that's the end of it. You know, they're, they're a lot happier. You know, they're a lot happier to say no. Whereas I think with the younger guys, you say, "Well, do you want to try this?" and they go, "Okay, I'll give it a try," and it just doesn't get done. Um, or yeah. The hand, the hand holding, I don't mind. Like I'm happy to teach people. So I've got yeah. a guy at the moment who's not very good at counting calories. So I'm, I'm literally going through the process of how to count calories, and it is quite sweet, really. But I don't mind doing it. I mean, it's, it's that's what he needs. That's what he needs. So you know, we've gone over his need for a kitchen scale, how to weigh things out, whether to weigh them cooked or not raw, and you know, all these little things. And yeah. it's, it's actually quite endearing, you know. And he's, he's learning. It's useful. It's a skill he can take for, take for life. So, yeah, I don't, I don't mind the hand holding, but it, yeah, definitely without. I don't mind any of it really to honest. I, I love I love my clients, they're great. But it's definitely the guys who are the busiest who have a good idea of time management, they tend to do the best. Yeah. yeah. One thing that, that, that strikes me is that because you have came from a hyper competitive background in the iron game with a strongman, powerlifting and bodybuilding, how do you temple that with clients? as yeah. it expands because you remind me of like a football manager who was an ex-player like yeah. stevie gerrard for example he comes to rangers he's achieved so much in his career and he wants he he can't get the idea out of his head that the players aren't performing to his level mm. yeah and is that something that you have to temper when coaching people i think at the heart of it i'm i'm quite a people person so you know i like being around people i'm, I'm relatively sociable um but also i'm quite em uh, empathetic as well so i do pick up on when people aren't like are struggling not feeling so great and so i'm quite sensitive to you know the way people are handling things and i think as i've teaching taught me a lot teaching taught me a lot of patience i mean if you're a guy who's you know 90 kilos built like a brick shit house and is teaching 11 year olds well you know you have to be patient otherwise you're going to scare people so so yeah i think teaching taught me a lot of patience and as i now go into my coaching sort of arc um yeah just it, it was like what i was saying before if you consciously switch on to be able to pick up on signs and what people are saying and you don't ignore them and just steamroll through them you're always going to be in a better place and it's what i was saying about you know coaches learning you have to be in a position where you are willing to learn. And learning comes from all sources. It might come from YouTube, it might come from textbooks, but also you learn from your clients. Like if your yeah. client is unable to do this, you learn from them. You can't just steamroll over them. And so a lot of my, how I've tempered it as, it's not even be a conscious decision to temper my, my, my competitiveness. It's more just been, I'm a servant to my clients. And so I do what they need. I give them the yeah. best. And oftentimes it's it's uh, being more gentle 
oftentimes it's being more harsh. Sometimes they need it. And sometimes clients will thank me and go, oh, I needed that. It's like, yes, I know you did. So yeah. give them a bit of a kick. Um, so yeah, it's, I guess it's not so much about tempering because, well, you know what it's like. As a professional, you do the job. So my personality doesn't really come into it that much because I view things more as what do my clients need? What does this individual client, like what does Lee Hazard need today because he's struggling on his diet? What can I do for him with this situation? So I don't really have to temper my own personality because I'm a slave, I'm a servant to my clients and that's yeah. where my main focus is. When I'm at work, my personality doesn't really come into it. And it's the same when I was teaching. I'm, I have the ability to hide my own personality and because you know, you're you're a professional. You just get things done. Like if I'm not feeling very good one day, if I'm yeah. having a, if I'm feeling a bit angry about something, someone cut me off for traffic. You're not going to see that. No one's going to see it. If I'm feeling a bit yeah. sad one day, nobody's going to see it. I'm a professional, and it, this is this is bled through from teaching into coaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's when the lines of coaching get blurred, in the sense that some people think a coach is someone who gives instruction. Whereas there's that side of coaching where it's extracting a performance. I mean, you use another football analogy. I think about Alex Ferguson. Uh, Alex it, Ferguson yeah. always played a 4-4-2, which is quite an antiquated formation system in football. Yeah. But he had the ability to extract a performance from a player as yeah. opposed to like giving instructions. Obviously, he was giving instructions and things of that nature, but it was his ability to extract that performance through motivation, obviously through listening to players, because I'm going on a tangent here, but I recently discovered a letter he wrote to Eric Cantona. Mm. You'll be probably be able to find it online, and you need to read this. It's, no, it's, yeah. He wrote a letter to Eric Cantona when he left, and it almost brings a tear to your eye when you read it, because you could see it was a guy who had formed a bond Yes. With someone. And we all know that when you look at Eric Cantona's career, like he was a bit of a misfit, but yeah, it was Alex Fer yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it was Alex Ferguson who who extracted every single bit of juice oh, yeah. out of Eric Cantona. So listen, I know I know you're on borrowed time. I'm looking at the clock and I know you've got a time limit. But before you go, Faz, I want to know how you're training nowadays. Okay. Um I, I, you know, I'm glad you asked because I'm having a really good run of training at the moment. I'm, I'm in a good place. Uh, yeah, training. Good, I've said there before you came on that the, the, the traps are overwhelming. <laughs> my, my, my we're, we're barely fit into the screen here. So yeah, but yeah, training's going great. Um, my, my current focus is, um, I guess, well, I, I'm slimming down a little bit, um, but kind of trying to rebuild some muscle as well at the same time. Um, the, the goal is to get. Um, in very lean condition, probably over the next six months, you know, do it nice and relaxed. Um, but yeah, my current career is going very well. So currently I'm doing predominantly a bodybuilding routine, very, very bodybuilding focus. So a lot of machines, a lot of cables, um, some heavy basics. So I do a four-way split, generally tend to start off the body part with, well, let me, let me cover like an overall basics. I train six days a week. I do cardio every day. Uh, like half an hour of cardio every day. Like, yes, I do cardio. Um, I like it. It's enjoyable. And you know what? It sounds like a lot, but if I didn't, I'd just be sat on in front of the computer all day. So it's what I need to do to stay active. But I'm actually loving my training at the moment. I start off with something pretty heavy and I go into more pumpy stuff later in the routine and I just try and improve over time. Um, I just try and get a good myomuscle connection, try and get a good pump. Um, I try to get a good stretch on some exercises, get a good squeeze on others. It's, I would say it is very very prototypical historical bodybuilding style training honestly it is yeah, yeah, absolute yeah, yeah. traditional bodybuilding there is no science involved at all in what i do um there it's it's all bodybuilding tradition and and it, that's that's on purpose you know so it's a four-way split is that is that, is that like an upper lower or uh, oh no so uh, like um so i do i do chest and shoulders on one day together um because for shoulders, I don't overhead press. I just do laterals, hence the width. <laughs> um, so with chest, I do some pressing. Shoulders, I do laterals. Then I do back uh, alongside calves and abs, because back there's a bit shorter. Then I do arms, do a whole arm day, and then I do legs. So legs is tomorrow, yeah, yeah. and followed by cardio. And I just take Saturdays off, and it just keeps rotating around. So I train every body part three times every two weeks. And um, 
yeah, I, I just meet at it. I do not want to science my own training at all. I like training like this. Um, I mean, obviously, there, it is scientifically based in terms of it fits, but that's not <laughs> my intention. My intention is just to go at it like a bro. I train hard. Sometimes I do force reps. Sometimes I do cheat reps. Um, sometimes I lift with a more explosive tempo. Um, but I'm always in tune with the exercise I'm doing. I'm trying to get the best out of each exercise, which is why things change, because I'm not going to perform on a bench press the same as I would with the pec deck. So yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah. consider my training to be absolute meathead, ego lifting, very traditional old school bodybuilding. That's how I do it. Yeah. Right. Okay. A really important question here. Uh, what are you doing for your traps? <laughs> so my traps, actually, I, th I think this is a discussion where a lot of coaches don't actually understand trap training at all. Um, traps are just built by rows and pull downs and deadlifts. I think a lot of coaches like to do these sort of upper traps, shrugs, things, absolutely pointless. Um, if you are going to do a shrug, do the shrug that I've, you can Google it, Faz lifts, Kelso shrug, Kelso. Yeah, do yeah, those. Yeah. Those are fantastic. But, but no, my traps were built from multiple years. So if anybody wants to do this, this is what you need to do. Multiple years of deadlifting five to six days per week. Do that for about five years. You'll build some pretty good traps. <laughs> Oh, you can't fail with that approach, Faz. Yeah. Right, before we go, Faz, Sam Surlek, what's your thoughts? I like him. I like him. I think he's I think I think he's a breath of fresh air. In you know what, I will say this. Can, can we just like ignore the drug issue for a second, right? Because obviously yeah. I don't agree with that, right? Whatever he's doing, I don't agree with it. But what actually gives me a lot of fresh hope for YouTube fitness is the fact that Sam has developed 1.3 million followers from the last time I checked via sensible advice, not flashy gimmicky edits and stuff. If you think about it, this is exactly, apart from the drug issue, <laughs> this is this is exactly what YouTube fitness needs. Yeah. Like I don't, when I, he does everything. I find him, I have to be honest, I find him absolutely fascinating. You look at all yeah. the big accounts, Athlean X, Greg Doucette, all those, more plates, more dates. They all have insane amounts of like either editing, um, YouTube search engines, which power them. There's everything optimized towards the algorithm. Sam comes in, records on an iPhone of all things with a headset attached to his baseball cap, just <laughs> trains, just talks, yeah. nothing else. And he's got to 1.3. It is real information. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and I like it because it gives me a lot of hope for my own content. It gives me a lot of hope that if you put out educational content, if you're at least somewhat charming and Sam, Sam is very charming, then there is an audience for that because people want information without all the BS. You look at his popularity, you compare him to someone like the Trend Twins. Um, it's a mass. I, I can't even look at the Trend Twins channel. They're just so like, ugh. It, it's too hyper energy. Puts me right off. Like, yeah. I've, I've watched a brief bit of what they've done and it's just so hyper, so ADHD, so cringe. It's yeah. horrible. Sam, yeah. It's just some dude chatting, lifting. And the other thing I like about him is, going on about him, he <laughs> is something which I can relate to after 25 years of lifting weights. He fucking loves lifting. And I'm the same way. It's never changed, Lee. Like, I went to the gym today. I had a big smile on my face, loving it, said hello to the boys. I was love it. 25 years of that. It doesn't get old. And yeah, if I have yeah. a training session, I'll have a great day. You know? Yeah. And honestly, that... I love to see that. He's not out there talking about how he's lifting to fight his demons. It's like, come on, bro, get therapy if, that, if that's the case. He's lifting because he loves it. And there is something very nice. The French call it um, joie de vivre. Yeah. And that is like just enjoying life. Yeah. Something about him, he just has it. He enjoys life. Like, you know that uh, the guy on Instagram, uh, Grizzly, I forget yeah. his name. He's the another French. guy. He has a, the big, big guy, yeah. He's another guy. He has that like joie de vivre. I might be mispronouncing it. My French audio <laughs> might could correct me, but he just loves lifting. There's something very enticing about watching somebody do something and get such joy out of doing something. So yeah, simple. Yeah, lifting weights. Yeah, it strikes yeah. me right there. I fucking yeah, love it. I can tell, me. I can tell. Yeah. It's very wholesome. There's, there's, yes. a, there's a wholesome element to it. I mean, if you will, say the trend twins were like some hyper edited Saturday morning kids show. Sam Surlex yeah. like the Waltons in some respect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a highway to heaven. And they've got like trend in their title. I mean, come on. 
Like, yeah. At least at least Sam doesn't actually talk about steroids and stuff. Yes, obviously he's on them. Not good. Don't do it. But at least he doesn't go on and on about it. I mean, the Trent twins. I don't. I don't know much about what they say, but it's in the name. It's so yeah. negative. Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. Oh, it puts me right off. Puts me right off. Yeah, yeah I, I think it showed what people actually want to watch, which is yeah. simple stuff that you can just sit back and relax and just absorb instead of being hyper stimulated and I, I, I get this hyper stimulation thing yeah. with youtube fitness or even just instagram reels where it's just like it, it makes you feel quite sad actually but maybe that's maybe that's a conversation for another podcast guys. yes yes but um i'm glad you asked me though i'm i'm happy to do another one and uh, as always lee it's always a pleasure of course, um, of course. it was a pleasure to have you on mate yeah. Anyway, that was the fantastic Faz Lifts. Thank you very much for coming on, Faz. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Yes. Anytime, mate.